Hello and welcome to the 93 Talks, a podcast brought to you by the UK's largest network of state-educated university students, the 93% Club Foundation. Did you know that 93% of the UK's population is state-educated? This number is not representative of the university population and definitely not represented in the corporate world. It's our mission to rectify this and support those that make it to university. Here on the 93 Talks, we will bring you content with employers, successful professionals and community ambassadors. This is a podcast for students, by students. We are the 93% Club. Serious about social mobility. Hello everyone, welcome to the 93 Talks podcast. I am your newest co-host Neve, and I'm glad to introduce our first guest of today's episode, Abby Lopez. Abby, would you like to introduce yourself and your role at Ocado Group? Sure. Hey, Neve. Thank you for inviting us on to this podcast today. We're really excited to be here. Um, so my name is Abby Lopez. I am the Emerging Talent Manager at Ocado Group. So what that means is I look after our graduate intern and um, placement um, population within Ocado. So my team are responsible for anything from the recruitment, onboarding and the journey that graduates take through throughout their time at Ocado Group. Great. Thank you so much, Abby. I'm excited for us to talk about the amazing work Ocado does for social mobility. Firstly, why is inclusion so important to you? And why in particular is social mobility important also? Yeah, I just think that to find the best talent, you've got to be inclusive because to to kind of look at, um, you know, very strict kind of metrics and things just remove so many really great people that can come into an organisation. Um, so I guess it's kind of twofold that when I joined the organisation, I'm sure we'll talk about this further in it kind of later on, but it was a lot more kind of stuck in their ways of we had very strict kind of gradings and, and things like that and it just didn't sit well with me I'm from a, a lower working class background myself and I think that not just because of that but there's a real kind of before I guess with Ocado we were quite um lacking in in diversifying and what we were finding is we had a lot of people who were joining us who actually looked the same sounded the same up to the, even things like the same oh hairstyles right on induction <laughs> week it was crazy so we really had to do something to change but I just think that being able to diversify just creates a really good blended um sort of teams and actually people can bring different views and thoughts to um an organization that yeah. you might not have um have known before yeah that's great. so true and like within your role as um an emerging emerging talent manager um which I assume you oversee you know the recruitment as you said as well as the pastoral care for the graduates once you know they are in a cadre group then what changes and actions have you taken to support the students from the lower socioeconomic backgrounds yeah so quite a lot so we and so when I joined the organization three years ago we used to like I've already mentioned have quite strict kind of you have to have had an A, B, B at A level you have to have an A at GCSE and maths really random um and then you have to have gone to a red brick university and two one and above and what we were finding is actually when we were looking at some of the demographic information things like um, the percentage of people having free school meals the percentage of people coming from state schools versus private schools naturally was lower so it was quite a challenge actually in the initial part because I think that we had such high and the people we've hired by the way are not the wrong hires it's just that they were specifically chosen from a type of background so I think the reluctance initially from the business was well will we lose the quality of candidate that we've had because we had great people coming through who were still with us in the organization but actually I think it's putting things in place to really 
help and support um, people from a lower socioeconomic background that might just not have that mm-hmm. access to be able to kind of go through and, you know, they might go through a BTEC rather than A-level, they might go through an apprenticeship rather than going through an A-level. So we looked at the kind of grading systems, I suppose, and kind of eradicated all of it. So for all of our programmes, um, we now don't look at kind of A-level qualifications. It's yeah. just not relevant, that level mm-hmm. of qualification. Um, and even things like degrees, we don't, unless you're going on a really specific course, so say you're going to mm-hmm. become a programmer, we don't look at the type of degree that you come oh, in no. from. So as an example, our our largest um, programme, the business management programme, we will take people from a whole range of backgrounds. So we've got people from maths to classics to French you know all of these different backgrounds and for us it's just not important it's about the person coming through and we also did quite a lot in our in our assessment process so historically what used to happen is we used to have somebody kind of interviewing all of these candidates on a Mm -hmm. phone interview so they go through the CV screening then somebody would go through and telephone screen Mm -hmm. however many candidates and then they'd be invited in for an assessment center and what we were finding is first of all so repetitive and boring for the person doing that role because actually it's just not a good enough kind of use of somebody's time but second of all after you've interviewed five six seven people you become biased to hearing things that you think is the right thing and what you want to hear so what we then started to realize is actually our process probably wasn't was again gearing us up to becoming Mm -hmm. more biased to a, a certain demographic of person so we eradicated um again the telephone interview we now do a a two-stage online process so our stages are um it's called digital readiness which is both a logical reasoning and kind of an emotive it's things like why would you be more interested in the team really um, caring about you or would you be more interested in the team um, respecting you there's no right or wrong it's just to see where you sit on those things and our logical sort of reasoning test is more around how can you logically forward think things may or may not happen without giving too much away um, our second part of the process that we added in is a video interview so one of the questions is scored by a member of my team and the other six questions are um are scored oh. by ai so um which is great because what that means is the first question is why are you interested in this role at cardo so my team have got really set guidelines of what we are and aren't looking for at that point so as an example you would need to say you know, if you're going for a people program, as an example, we deliver the the CIPD qualification, right? So we'd be looking to see, have you read the advert enough to know that there's a qualification attached? Um, things like, <clears throat> excuse me, that you've understood that it's a rotational program, that things like you've just read the advert and you know what you're applying for, right? So there's different things in place. But the great thing then about the other six questions is that they're totally unbiased. It's not kind of black box AI, it's open. So it's so intelligent we use um aon as our provider for it but it's things like the way in which um they score the questions is not about what you look like what how you've expressed yourself anything like that it's solely around the words that you've used so it's even around like dialect so it's so interesting so like in newcastle as an example um you know you might say it's something's mint it's it's good but obviously down here it would be the plant so it identify things um like that within the language that you use um and again it doesn't just take it as if you say something i didn't do that very well it doesn't just take very well and go brilliant there's a tick it takes the whole sentence and looks at what the meaning of 
what you were trying to say was. So what we found in that is that actually we've had a real increase in people coming from a lower socioeconomic background because it's it's nobody's conscious bias or unconscious bias making those decisions. It's purely on what you've said. So again, it's not about the way in which somebody looks. It's not about the eye contact. It's not about any of those. And actually, it's not even about how you interview. It's just about the words in which you say as you go through the process, which is wow. great. Yeah, absolutely. That very intelligent. <laughs> it's super intelligent. Yeah, it's um. there's loads of studies and stuff on it. If anybody's interested offline to look at it, it's the Aon Video Assess modules. Um, but it was just something that was super important to us because, again, everybody has unconscious bias that they're not, you know, you can go through training and such, but the best way of doing it to make it the most fair is to remove that unconscious bias. Um, and even things like at assessment centres, you know, we really try and for all candidates, actually, we try and make it as fair as possible. So we give briefings before candidates come to assessment centres. So if you've never attended an assessment centre before, you receive a go to document that gives you advice for each of the different stages you've got a member of my team to really help you as you go through that process too. So there's loads of things we do. And even on the assessment day, we try to make everyone, it's hard, right? Being on a virtual assessment day, especially with COVID, it's tough. But we tried to make everyone feel really relaxed at home, comfortable, confident. And then we're there. So as somebody is offered the role, we offer kind of pre-onboarding support. So we look at things like we get a current grad to talk about what relocation looks like. We get a current grad to talk about things like what their experiences were kind of coming out of being at uni, going straight into a full-time job. And then also the graduates are assigned as they join the organisation, a buddy. So a buddy is somebody from the year above who is just there as a point of contact, um, which is great because again, if there's any concerns, worries that for whatever reason, they don't feel comfortable talking to their manager about, there is a buddy that you can go and talk to, which is, really super yeah, that useful. sounds amazing it, it, it's great how from the very beginning stages that you give them a lot of support and then throughout when they start it's so impressive and you can tell that you really do care about the transferable skills and just making them feel at home so that sounds so impressive with the AI from that to everything else and I suppose that's quite a big shift um, in the company and it must have required a lot off the company buy-in I suppose so how was it convincing the business to make these changes and to invest in that AI technology? Yeah initially it was tough like I mentioned before because I think people were really worried that if we removed I think it was more so less so about the AI because look we're a tech company so anything to do with new technology people tend to buy into because it's we've got so many really cool you know arms to our business that are thoroughly involved in tech so that bit was less difficult it was more the shift of the qualification the academics and the mindset mindset shift there but actually what we found is when what so for each of our graduate programs we have a scheme owner and when we got one scheme owner on board it was almost a ricochet effect that all scheme owners bought into this process and actually we kind of said that look we're going to trial it for a year let's see what happens let's see what the quality of, of graduates are that come through And we had such a great response from the business in terms of, gosh, we've hired people that have got such good ways of thinking. And it's not about because it's not about academics. Right. It's all about the application and how I don't know somebody comes across and how um, passionate you are to come and work for a company. You know, 
I think it's fantastic if you go to a red brick and get a first. Of course, it is brilliant work for you, but you've got to be able to apply it in a working world. And what we found is people who have come from, um, you know, lower socioeconomic backgrounds versus those who have come from different backgrounds, there's no variance in terms of performance at Ocado. So there's no reason, you know, to, to almost withdraw a whole population of people just because of their background that doesn't seem mm-hmm. fair at all um so I think when when you outline it like that it was quite an easy sell to the business of actually this is the right thing to have done and of course now we've got people who so say 2019 they joined have now rolled off the you know their graduate program in really cool mm-hmm. positions so we've got some really great people who or, you know, advocating this, that it was exactly the right yeah. thing to well, have done. Well, you said that after the first year that everyone was very pleased with the changes. Did you have any quantitative or, like, qualitative results that you can share with us about that? Yeah, are you talking about in regards to, say, performance, or are you talking about in terms of... So I, terms I remember of? I read an article from you um, regarding the inclusivity of not just those from socioeconomic backgrounds, but those of, you know, different races. Not Like, as you, as you said, you didn't want everyone to look the same. So I'm curious whether you could talk about that as well as possibly, you know, the other results you've seen for the cohorts as to how they are. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, so we saw a huge change naturally because of the I think actually more so the academic qualification brought in a different type of person we had um, a huge percentage increase from um, our economic backgrounds it was absolutely incredible Um, I can't I can't recall the exact figure but it was a a really significant increase of people coming from low socioeconomic backgrounds but yeah we had um, and we still continue to have year-on-year increases in each of our different kind of demographic um, information I guess for us what we'll never do is say we're looking for x percentage of people from this population because that becomes quite scary and kind of I don't want to ever get to a point where we're ticking a box of we need to get this but I think that it's for us we like to monitor it so we ask people to do it as part of their recruitment process to fill in kind of a data report of if they don't mind about their background and the only reason we're asking for that is so that year on year we can see if we can improve and see what we can do to target different places better. Um, and then again, we kind of ask them as they join the organisation to do it through a kind of an internal um, survey. And again, the only purpose of that is to see year on year if our hard work in the campaign, because we do quite a lot with universities around, say, women in STEM or, you know, talking at, at different events that can really, um, yeah, kind of influence and change those percentages so it's to make sure that we're doing the right activities mm-hmm. throughout the year rather than kind of for us yeah to of course box. well that's very impressive you can tell that the company does really care about inclusivity and after speaking to you and your colleagues the last couple of weeks I can really tell that that is the case um in terms of you being an emerging talent manager at Ocado Group would you have any advice for students that are about to start their search for their first role after university? Yeah, it's absolutely intimidating, right? There's so many opportunities out there. And I think that more so now than ever, it just feels like a really bizarre mm. world anyway, a post-COVID world. Um, so I think that whatever you do, whichever role you go into, you've got to get a good feel of the company. So just make sure that when you're going there you've spoken to 
potential potentially graduates who are already employed there you've had a conversation with people who are not just the kind of recruitment team that are hiring you in just to make sure that it feels like the right cultural fit because this is such a good opportunity I suppose to it's the start of your career to really propel it but in saying that there's no point doing that if you're in a culture where it doesn't fit your own values so just think about that as you go through and applying um, for for graduate programs. But there's loads of resource and help out there, right? I, I definitely take advice on things like assessment, how to kind of do spectacularly in an assessment centre, how to um, you know how to ask all the right questions, and definitely ask questions on assessment centres. People really like to hear about people's views you know ask them why they like to work at that company specifically too it really does help and it's great that you do also offer those sort of services as well with the advice and whatnot for the assessment centers and I do agree like the whole point of looking for a career after yes it is to propel your career but you want to fit somewhere that you don't just stick around for a year or two you actually want to be part of that company so yeah that's great advice um so before I speak to the lovely graduates from Ocado to hear about what they thought is there anything that you'd like to share or add that we haven't discussed already I think we've been really thorough in what we've discussed I think it's just again when you're going for an organization really look out for points where they're trying to be really inclusive because it definitely changes the culture Mm -hmm. um but apart from just very best of luck to anybody who's looking for their kind of first role post uni it's really scary and intimidating time but the recruitment teams going through should really be able to help and support you with those things Yeah, perfect. Yes, I agree with that. Thank you so much, Abby, for being a part of this episode. And thank you to Ocado Group for making this discussion possible. I think it's very important to talk about inclusivity. And the 93 Talks, that's what we stand for in a way of making sure that it's available for everyone, no matter your background. Um, And I hope that after hearing our discussion that everyone now listening knows the amazing work that Ocado Group does offer to students. So I would recommend looking at their website and their careers page if anyone listening is in interested and yeah thank you so much again for today Abby I hope you've enjoyed your time on the 93 talks and next we get to hear the stories from the Ocado group graduates thank you so much and we're back with the graduates from Ocado group to discuss their experiences with inclusivity university and getting their graduate role hello Cameron Lewis and Annabelle welcome to the 93 talks podcast (laughs) And would you like to introduce yourselves by explaining the program you're on, what your role is and how long you've worked at Ocado Group? Lewis, if you wouldn't mind starting. Yeah, sure. So I'm Lewis. Um, I've been on the graduate scheme nearly 18 months now. So this is my third rotation on the engineering graduate scheme. Um, I've had quite a, quite a varied array of placements so far. So my first one was as a PLC software engineer. My second one was a engineering project manager, and I'm currently in manufacturing engineering. Oh, wow. So change of roles then. Keeps it interesting. Huge variety. Huge variety. (laughs) And Annabelle, do you want to go? Yes, I'm Annabelle. I'm on the business management grad scheme. I'm I'm only on my first rotation, so I've only been here like five months, Um, and I'm working in platform implementation as a project controller. So we're basically trying to build a CFC out in America. Interesting. And Cameron? Wonderful. Hi. I'm a bit of an exception to the rule because I'm no longer a graduate 
although I did start on the graduate scheme. At the time, it was called the General Management Scheme, and that was back in September 2019, which has now become the Business Management Scheme like Annabelle's on. Um, I did three rotations on my scheme. I started in graduate recruitment, recruiting people like your listeners uh, and these guys in the room, um, and then moved into a role in logistics. I helped manage one of our depots, delivering shopping, and then uh, moved into the team that I'm currently in, the People Experience team uh, for placement in um looking at how we improve things for our drivers and warehouse staff. Um, and then I rolled off the programme. So my role now is programme manager in the People Experience team. And my role is to uh, coordinate and help implement all the initiatives that we put in place from an HR perspective to make sure that our drivers and warehouse staff have a great time at work. Amazing. Thank you, guys. So for this discussion, we'd love to give current students who are on their way to embark on their new career an insight of what the journey is like and what to expect and to understand what is possible for them. But if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to go back to earlier on in that journey for you free. What were your memories of school and some of the conversations that you had? And did you know that you wanted to be in the role that you're in now? No. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> um, no, for me, school was like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, in its rawest form, I just loved solving problems. So I was always doing puzzles, playing games, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was, yeah, I quite enjoyed maths and science. <clears throat> and then it got to a point where, um, you know, trying to think about future careers, I still didn't really know. And you, you know, when you sort of get given a list and, there are all these jobs that you've never heard of. You know, I was going through trying to find out with what what each of these jobs are. And um, I think the definition for engineering was basically using science and maths to solve problems. And I was like, oh, well, why not? You know, that, that sounds like a bit of me. So, yeah, I haven't looked back since. Um, and I really enjoy it. Lovely. Yeah, I would sound kind of in the same position when I was at secondary school. You start having those like career conversations, you pick your options, what you're going to study at GCSE, you're thinking, am I going to go to university? Um, and I ended up kind of getting linked with a local charity that set up like work placement. Um, and so the one that I was given was law. That wasn't something I'd like picked. They just kind of gave it to me. So I did a couple of weeks in like a local law firm um, then we did like a trip up to London for a couple of weeks and did um, went to Clifford Chance. And obviously they're like huge. I remember seeing the offices and had like a swimming pool in it. So I don't really think much of law itself as a subject. I just saw this like office and thought, oh, this looks cool. I can work here. Um, so yeah, I started down the law route. That's why I applied to at uni. Mm-hmm. Kind of went off curve there, ended up in history. Thought I was going to go into academia, be like a researcher. And then towards like my final year of uni, I was like, actually, don't think going down the PhD route is actually for me. And that's when I actually started looking at grad schemes. So it was doing coming in a project management was not something I'd thought about probably until about six months before I'd um, applied to Cardo. So yeah, generally no idea. So it's the swimming pool that sold you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on here, and I'll definitely, I'll definitely be sticking. Oh, wow. That's good that a cadre group do give you the opportunity, regardless of what degree that you do, you can go for most of your grad roles. So it's great that they've got that flexibility and you utilise that. Yeah, I think they kind of look at transferable skills as long as you can kind of say, 
mm-hmm. you know, beyond history is beyond purely like facts and figures. There's a lot of skills you pick up, and so I think if you kind of prepare for interviews, how you can you know get that to mend, then I think they're very open with taking people from all sorts of um, different subjects mm-hmm. and things like that. Amazing. How about you, Cameron? Um, I'm going to tell you a very similar story to these two. It's so <laughs> nice to um, be in a conversation with two people who also didn't know what they wanted to do um <laughs> but, but clearly we've ended up in a nice place so that's good i agree when i was back at secondary school and i guess at, at going into sixth form and college and what have you um the same was true for me not knowing what i wanted to do but similar to how you described lewis i knew in for you it was problem solving skills for me it was about creativity yeah. that's what i knew i enjoyed and as perhaps a bit of a tangent i am um, was a big fan of grand designs so when i first went to six, that's a fantastic <laughs> show <laughs> exactly it's, it's a good one to be a fan of um kevin mcleod big hero um the the one of the first things that jumped out to me as a possible career after school was to go and be an architect and for me the story is i felt like i was doing it all right i was at secondary school ready to choose my a-level options ringing unis what would the ideal architecture student have studied and molding my choices around that but it led mm-hmm. me to choose a set of A-levels, which absolutely weren't for me. Um, and and to the extent that after year one, I dropped out of A-levels, which was really disappointing for me and awful, actually. Um, but what I guess it proved to me, if we're looking for nuggets of, um, of messaging to give to your listeners, I guess it would be quite cliched, but choose what you enjoy. Um, along the lines of what you describe, Annabelle, you, you decided law wasn't for you, but history was much more interesting. Yeah. And so I guess that would be my top tip is choose what you enjoy because it ended up for me that I went and worked for a little bit but still had that desire to go to uni and went and did an access course in a subject that was much more linked to what I'd been doing and could link it to much more practically what I'd done so um so I knew I enjoyed it so the same story for me I didn't know what I wanted to do I knew that I wanted to be creative and to do something that I could apply my skills I guess went and did it in work for a bit mm-hmm. and they did an access close to get me into uni because I ultimately knew that the kind of most exciting jobs were at the end of a grad scheme. Yeah, that's great. It's a great example to show that you don't go, you don't have to go down the traditional route of just A-level straight to uni. You could do a BTEC. You may not even have to go to university. Um, I mean, you you do for the graduate role, but it, it shows that there's different options, different journeys for everyone. And it's great to see that you guys had that sort of experience where you didn't go down the traditional route of what you expected when you're in school but you've still turned out pretty okay absolutely and it's exciting that you sorry to interrupt you the way that you describe non-traditional routes it's so exciting because there's so many different options even getting together in this group uh i didn't realize you described something similar didn't you lewis about an access program but very different to what i've done so it was exciting that um, that you're right, there's so many different avenues to get to uni. But also, on what you say, I know that I guess your audience is more specifically graduates or people at uni, but even to get into a cardo, there's so much work going on to include people from different educational backgrounds. There's apprenticeships and internships of different kinds that have been running, some of which for a long time and some really recent, and they're only growing. So you're right, whatever background people are from, it certainly feels to me like there's a whole amount of yeah, that's great. And also, I guess, because you had different experiences when you were at high school and whatnot, then how did you find the transition to university? 
Um, well, as Cameron just touched on before, I went to Newcastle University, but I went through a scheme called Partners, which has grown massively now. And it's it's a scheme, it's a supported entry route for underrepresented groups at university. So neither of my parents had been to university. Um, and I, I qualified for the scheme. Uh, I had to attend a summer school, which was fantastic because I got to meet loads of people early, um, find out what the course is about. And also, the most important thing for me was I got two, two, two or three grade drops. So what seemed almost impossible at three A's or AAB was now three B's for me, which which was huge. You know, that was something I thought that was out of my reach. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't be here today without that scheme. So got a lot to thank for it. Um, but no, I think the the transition to uni was um, was was quite strange. It was more about managing your own time, um, you know, no one's going to tell you off if you don't do the work. You have to sort of do it yourself. <clears throat> so you need that sort of self-motivation, determination. Um, but no, I, I found it all right, um, the, the the transition. I think managing time was probably what, um, what struck me the most because obviously there's other stuff that you can do at university, right? You can get involved in so many clubs, societies, um, I had a few part-time jobs. I was an ambassador for the university in a variety of roles. So I was always busy, and it was about managing my time. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the step up for me, this is probably more related to my course, but that was from second to third year. Um, my first two years were, I found, quite relatively straightforward, but the third and the fourth year was was quite a challenge. Um but hey, you don't want it to be easy, right? So, no, it was good. I really enjoyed it. Oh, great. Lewis, I love that when you describe yourself as busy, you didn't mention nights out. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> All nights in. <laughs> Annabelle, what about you? How is it going to be for, for you? I actually struggled when I when I first died. So as I said, I kind of like went down the law route. I'd done like a work placement um at college, I I done like kind of writing subjects, history, something I was really interested in. But I think when you kind of come from like a working class background, there's like a lot of emphasis that what you you do, not what you kind of maybe enjoy, but what's going to guarantee you a job. There's like a lot of focus on don't just go and study history because what you're going to do with that, mm-hmm. go and do law. It's a stable job, you know. There's plenty of jobs there, so I just kind of went into it purely because I thought, you know, I know if I do law, I can get a job at the end. And that's kind of what's drilled into you. Um, but yeah, when I went, so I went to Durham University, and I just didn't really feel like I fitted in that well. I so I lived with sixteen people um, in my first year, and there was only two of us that went to state schools. So it was a lot of a lot of private school. Just like nothing against them, obviously individually, but you do feel you do compare yourself, and a lot of them maybe had done like five A levels. They speak like three languages. You know, we were talking about law and they could speak Latin and, you know, it's you need to be able to speak Latin to um, read Latin to be able to do law. And I was thinking, this this isn't me. Like, I maybe I don't fit in here. Maybe I'm even bad enough that I thought I'm probably not smart enough to be here, which is now you look back and say it's completely stupid. Yeah, you know, you've got the entry requirements. You're here for a reason. But I think when I first started, I was like, just, yeah, it didn't, it didn't click. Um, so I ended up actually leaving thought I'm going to go back, like, history is what I really wanted to do. 
I'm just going to stick with that. So I got an offer from Durham to come back the following year and enrol there to do history. Um, about two months before I was going to start Durham in the next September, I also got offers at Newcastle University and I kind of thought, I didn't really feel like I loved um, Durham that much, that it was really somewhere I felt I fitted in. So I ended up going to Newcastle and it was just a much more positive experience, I think, from like day one. I, I just felt a lot more at home and comfortable, maybe because I kind of realised that the feelings that I'd felt at Durham weren't, weren't justifiable. I shouldn't have felt like that. And I'd kind of realised it was probably, I just got there freaked out. It's a bit overwhelming. Um, but yes, yeah, so then when I did actually go and do history, I just completely loved it to the point where I thought I'm going to go on, do masters, do a PhD, do this forever. Um, so now I completely loved it and the kind of whole university experience of you know, living away from home, having a huge amount of independence and then ultimately just studying a subject that you love. Didn't think too much towards the end point of, you know, what am I going to do with this anymore? It's like I've got three years now, I'm just going to enjoy it. So, yeah, it was like a, I'd say like up and down is my kind of experience of university. Mm, amazing, yeah. I, I think you touch upon a point of making sure that you love what you're doing, about how that's so important. But also with my talk earlier with Abby about making sure you pick somewhere, um, whether that's university or for your grad role, where you feel comfortable that you're a part of the culture. And I think speaking to you all, that's very evident with that. And I think that's something that our listeners should really focus on, of looking where they are comfortable and actually enjoying what they like. Um, Cameron, what do you think? Um, before I tell you about my transition, it's so nice to hear what you were saying there, Annabelle, about um, someone else who kind of thought they might have made a misstep going somewhere or for me choosing different A-levels. It's so nice to hear from people who think the same. And reflecting on my experience, and, and maybe you'll think the same, I bet in the moment if it certainly felt for me like the world's collapsing, everything's yeah. gone wrong, I've given away my chance to be successful, what have you. Yeah. It was awful for me. Um, and I wonder whether it felt the same for you. Yeah, I think immediately after I'd kind of decided I was going to leave, I kind of had a thought like, oh my God, what have I done? What is like, this decision? <laughs> this was something that, you know, my parents were very proud of. You know, if I kind of stuck in law at Durham, there's probably a very good career at the end of it. And I kind of thought, oh, my God, have I just thrown this away because I've had a panic. Um, but now, I, now I'm at the point I am. I'm here on the grad scheme at Ocado, I, I do kind of feel like everything works out and everything happens for a reason. And Absolutely. now I'm, like, so glad that I did that and just pursued at that point what it was I was interested in. But, yeah, you definitely have, like, a, a wobble. Like, oh, I've probably made a big mistake that I'm going to regret here. So, yeah. But here we are, Robin through different routes, it's come to the same conclusion that you would have wanted to get on a grad scheme anyway, and here we are. Yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? Um, when I went to uni, uh, I went to the University of Brighton, but it was at a campus in Eastbourne, and if you can understand my accent, I'm from Bolton, so in terms of transition, in a geographical <laughs> sense, it was massive. Um, I, I couldn't have got much further away unless perhaps the top of Scotland or maybe France, um, but so, so geographically it was it was quite distant, but um, to prepare for that, I'd been, of course, on open days and stuff, and um, and and I suppose differently than what you describe, Annabelle, I felt at home straight away. The reason I went, and it, and in fact, if you'd have asked me 
did I want to go to a kind of campus type uni or a city uni? It would have always been a city uni. I want as many unis in one place and loads of nightclubs and what have you. Um, but I, it turns out I went to the exact opposite. But it, but the reason for that is because I turned up on the uh, after a six hour drive with my mum um, for a, for a, a visiting day. And it just felt like home. So so uni instantly kind of felt like home for two reasons, partly because of the size of the campus and and then uh, and that I kind of knew a few people from the, the open days and what have you. But mainly because, like you two described, I knew that I was in love with my subject or I knew that the subject was a bit of me. Um, like I said, I'd done an access course, but this was after a kind of a year and a half out of sixth form after I dropped out. And so I'd worked in... A variety of shoe shops and um, some some different stores and been on different kind of training schemes through work um, and then went to study management and retailing and I felt at home because I felt this is my subject and I know a bit about it I've got a bit of knowledge behind me and in fact I'd, I'd done some swatting up if you will I'd got a library card I feel quite embarrassed so I'd got a library card like Arthur on that cartoon and um been to Bolton Library and got out a, a book about retailing and a book like a textbook that I knew was on the reading list and so I just felt like god like I am I feel prepared for this <laughs> but because I really cared about it so this bit that we've been talking about choose a subject that you enjoy is my I guess point that I would hammer home to myself at, at 15 or 16 or whatever because um I felt at home because I knew that I loved it. I was also really um, buoyed on or really helped by by going back to college and doing this access course or doing a slightly different route in that they prepared us to do things like referencing. I remember sitting in a, in a lecture room and the faces around me when we started <laughs> talking about Harvard referencing, um, when, not that I was an expert by any means, but... Um, having heard about it before it was a bit less shy. I had exactly the same on my summer school I had loads of little you know intro sessions to yeah. say referencing or little things like that which gave me such a good platform and that's when I joined. That's interesting because I guess something that something that I wasn't ready for in the same way as you describe Annabelle is the kind of networks or types of education that people had had or the types of connections people had already I'm so grateful, like like you say, Lewis, that we'd had a bit of an insight into yeah, what it would be definitely. like before we went. Um, I think we would, I speak for all of us, I know that myself, <laughs> we, we would have tried my best anyway, but um, but to have had, it was probably not a leg up, but you know, a, a bit of insight beforehand felt so valuable. Of course. So research is so important. Like I found that with my experience, whether that was doing insight weeks or just researching so much about different unis and visiting, that's so important because then you can get a grasp as to what you actually want to do. And the points that you mentioned as well of, um, for example, studying law, Annabelle, of like my parents would like it and it'd be respectful. I'd have, I'd have a job. But at the end of the day, you're not doing it for your parents, you're doing it for you. <laughs> and I yeah. said that's like a really hard thing to overcome but again as we said just do what you enjoy and it seems that you all enjoyed what you did once you went through those bumps at uni and you enjoyed the university so then once you did enjoy it and you were coming towards the end of your time at university and you were thinking about your first job what was that like strange really strange (laughs) I don't know because I did a four-year course and it's just a complete break in what you're used to because obviously you're not you're not used to sort of applying for jobs or 
Um, no, it was a really strange experience, and I, I wouldn't say a particularly fun one either. I'm not going to lie. Applying for jobs is really dull, tedious, and you have to do a lot of research to to find the right roles, um, the right companies, company culture, um, all that sort of thing. Uh, you don't know how long you're going to be working at these companies for. I mean, it could be like two, three, five, ten years. So it's a bit. It is a big decision. Um, but I, I think I had a really good. I had a different way of approaching this. Um, you know, all the sort of your standard sort of graduate websites with um, lists and lists of uh, of roles. Um, I thought. I don't know what it was. I thought there's not actually that many there for all the graduates in the country that, you know, are, are looking. This is probably more of a STEM, um, a STEM response to your question. But I, we had these, um, these free books from Gradcracker and they were, I think they were called, I had a look uh, the other day and they were called the Gradcracker Toolbox. I think they were called something different um, a couple of years ago. But in the back of them, there's a, an extensive list of companies uh, it, and it details loads of them by sector. So I don't know, for example, in STEM, there'll be like uh, chemical engineering, which is what I studied, uh, maths and science or um, computer science. And I have a list of companies there. And what I did is I made like a little bit of a spreadsheet and listed the companies that I'd be interested in, researched them and found that I'd probably say over half of them have graduate roles on their websites that aren't advertised on you know, the standard sort of graduate search engine websites. So I, I couldn't really believe it. So yeah, I, I was going through finding all of these jobs that no one in my say year had, had, had even found. Um, and yeah, just sort of systematically worked, worked through the list um, that was there. And uh, yeah, I, I thought that was a pretty, pretty good way to go about it. Looking back, um, it was really tedious at the time, but me and all my, um, my close mates got jobs and uh, oh, also another one on LinkedIn if you go to the job section on LinkedIn there was quite a few on there that weren't on um, sort of grad the standard graduate websites so yeah that, that that's a good idea because I mean I I looked at placement jobs I'm not at that level yet to look for grad roles but I did a similar thing with the spreadsheet of putting the lists of the companies down and just keeping track like off the different statuses off that like where you were in the process the application dates everything that was so helpful so I think the point that you brought up of not just the different ways you can find those grad roles which aren't so traditional I, I suppose but also keeping track in that sense is so useful. And not just keeping track, but I think my tactic was starting early. Yes. When I first came to Ocado and was in the grad recruitment team, I didn't realise how quickly we would start advertising. It almost felt as the academic year started, it was time to start applying. So, um, yeah, keep track and start early. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I had like a, I kind of had like a plan that, so obviously you come out your second year, you have the summer, which is about three months and then normally starting like October, which is around assessment centres and then normally November. So I was like, I've got three months now to kind of go through, see what grad roles are out there, make that spreadsheet of like when you can submit the application, get through like the video and all the other kind of rounds you have so that in November I can have my assessment centres 
when uni hasn't really fully ramped up yet, you're just in the kind of beginning of figuring out what you're going to do for your dissertation, then, you know, by Christmas, you can have you off and just relax. That's literally what I did. Um, had a few had a few assessment centres in November, had my offers mid-November, tried to make a decision by the beginning of December, and then so I could just kind of relax for the rest of the year because I'd kind of already put those plans in place where I wanted to apply, already kind of did prior research. So when the applications opened, I already kind of knew a lot about like the culture and why it'd be good for the role. So I'd kind of use that, as I guess, that summer as best I could because obviously it was COVID, so a lot of places didn't do placement um, or internships over the summer so I was kind of like I should probably be using this spare time wisely um, so yeah so that's how I kind of approached it was just to be as organized and use that almost quiet time before I knew like third year would kind of ramp up um, so yeah organization and getting in early is 100% I think a good way to approach it. I love that you said get your job applications and then relax for the rest of the year. Yeah, I was relaxing like a sense that you know it's just then you focus on uni rather than balancing both. But yeah, I think yeah. if I was to try and do both, it would have been a lot to be because there's like a lot of rounds as well to grad schemes that you know I think I might have gone through like four or five to end up actually getting this job. So it's to try and balance that whilst writing like a 20,000 word dissertation would not have been I don't think ideal obviously people do it I know a lot of people also do a January intake yeah I did it and it wasn't it wasn't enjoyable but <laughs> I did have a detailed plan um so yeah it made it as about as you know as enjoyable as it could be bearable. <laughs> yeah just about bearable and <laughs> um, what about you Cameron um well I had a bit of a interesting experience leaving uni I was very or two stories really I was very fortunate that the that the learning about starting early and keeping track of applications and the doing hundreds of applications at once came early for me because a bit like you Lewis my course was a three-year course but in the between second and third year you could do a placement and so I'd done a practice run of grad scheme applications by applying similar to you uh, applying for placement after second year um, and so when it so that was I don't know whether I can give any more tips than what you guys have already described but um, I was very fortunate to go my placement year but what that meant for me was I was very fortunate that I knew I had a place on a grad scheme at the end of uni which like you described Annabelle was a weight off the shoulders yeah. um, but I it, for the time I studied retailing, didn't I? And the placement was for Marks and Spencer. It was as a, a deputy store manager in, in a couple of stores in, in the northwest. I got a chance to go back to Bolton, which was very good <laughs> on the budget, living at home. Um, and so I knew I had a place to go back into stores. Um, but towards the end of that placement year, for the final week, I went and did a week in M&S head office. And in the same way as Kevin McLeod planted the seed for me to become an architect, um, <laughs> in a slightly more positive way, um, M&S head office really gave me an insight into what a, a kind of non-operational role or career might look like. And and at the time, we were still Cardo.com, the online supermarket, which, as anyone who's listening and us guys in the room, anyone who's researched Cardo knows we're, we're not quite anymore. Um, we're very different. Um I thought I must apply for some places where I will be exposed to not just stores or move out of my comfort zone. Because like I said before, I'd always worked in stores and shops before uni. So I thought, I've, I'm, 
I'm happy because I've got an offer to go back to M&S, but I must give myself the option to try something else. And so the second story that I'll tell you is I applied for quite a few places, all retailers, did a few assessment centres like I'm sure you guys were juggling too. Um, I wasn't fortunate enough to have my dissertation at the end of the year because I'd been on a placement. We were expected to hand it in in January. So, <laughs> Lewis, big empathy for you. Disgusting. Um, <laughs> and so I was on some assessment centres and I came to visit a car door. And I've told you guys this story already, but when I came, we kind of had a presentation from a former grad and they were telling us about the scheme we were we were assessing for that day. They showed us a video about how a car door works and I just sat back in my chair and I was like, <laughs> what on earth is this? Because as you can imagine, an online supermarket is and was at the time even very different than a physical shop. And so what I'm getting at is I started the assessment centre on, on the back foot. I thought, wow, I've flushed this down the toilet already by not feeling quite prepared. But if I can be really honest... That, I think, is what got me the job because it meant that I was really relaxed. It meant that I could bring my full self to the interview. And I know I was in a very fortunate position that I that I had another offer on the table, which was great. But nevertheless, I think by being able to bring myself to the fullest extent to the interview... Almost it, like no pressure. Yeah, it, well, it wasn't no pressure because I obviously wanted to impress. You yeah. know, I spent 50 quid in petrol to get here, so <laughs> I thought that's... I best put a decent slog into it. And a bit like you described, Annabelle, there was still this weight of expectation. Yeah. Um, probably not necessarily from my parents at this time, because like you, Lewis, they'd not been to uni. They didn't know what they didn't know what a God scheme was. But for me, like I've come all this way, I've 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 slogged it at uni to really try and do well at these assessment centres. I better do all right, and here I am falling at the first hurdle. It's not even a question yet. So so I guess the, the key points for me were I felt able to bring my fullest self to the interview and that's why I thought I did well. And I think even for someone who's not got another offer on the table or or, or that kind of thing, choosing an organisation where you fit with the culture, because there was other assessment centres that I went to, and bearing in mind this was pre-COVID, so we could actually go and visit them in person. I went to other major retailers, which I won't name. Some of them have gone down the pan now. Um, where you walk into that office and you know people are staring at you, the kind of culture that they appear to be, creating or expressing to you even as someone they perhaps want to impress and get to work for them wasn't great but Ocado felt very different very different so um so I guess that would be my top tip choose something you love at uni choose an employer that that fits with your values a way you feel like you can bring your fullest self to not only the interview but hopefully the job when you get one yeah great and just be proactive and as organized as you can be and I suppose if you are organized and a bit proactive then that makes you feel a, a lot less nervous than you would be if you were to go to these assessment centers because then in your head you know right I know my answers are going to be I can just relax focus on being my best self myself and do it like that so I think they're amazing tips 100% I'm sure listeners will love that <laughs> And another tip, sorry to interrupt you, would be that an interview, it's easy to say this once you've got the job, but an interview is not just for them to interview you, it's for you to interview them. And I'm not not suggesting that you get a page of questions out when you go to your first chance to interview, but, um, but it's, it's as much for you to test the water of would I enjoy working with these people as much as it is for them to do the same to you. I'm also conscious, Neve, that you're asking us a lot of questions and we've not asked on the subject of this. Um, you said you're um, coming up to the point of placements or perhaps thinking about grad schemes yourself. What, um, 
has what we've described been helpful for you about assessment or what are your biggest worries and I wonder whether we might be able to answer some of them Oh, of course. The the um, points that you mentioned, for example, starting early, because I'm on a placement at the moment. I remember I applied for my placement the end of July, beginning August, which is very early considering I had not even started uni until October time. So and I think the points that you mentioned, I either did um, either the same or very similar. And just, yeah, just to emphasize that what you brought up I think is perfect it's it's what I would have loved to have heard beforehand I was very fortunate that my university gave me a lot of support but some other universities maybe their careers team aren't that supportive so I do think it's very important to be proactive and unfortunately sometimes you are going to have to do the research yourself and be on top of it but as you said beforehand you know Lewis about being you know time management is such an important thing at university that's just something that you have to grow on your skills so yeah I'm, I'm very thankful that I have got a placement at the moment but in terms of advice what you said I think is perfect like I would appreciated hearing this this time last year um so that's great (laughs) what's also Um, interesting sorry to interrupt you is what you said there around some unis might not have expert careers guidance or might not might not have the the tools to to lead you with maybe you guys in the room can empathize too but not only in uni might you not have advice but it was true for me and maybe it is for you too my mum and dad haven't done a grad scheme. Yeah. No one could help me prepare for interviews, you know. So so like you say, um, having conversations with people about at uni about what you think might come up, anyone who you know who's in a higher year who's perhaps been to interviews. I don't know whether you guys did any interesting interview practice. Yeah, I mean, I was my kind of parents were the same, that when I actually got this grad scheme and I told them, they had no idea what I was on about. They even asked if like I was gonna get paid. <laughs> uh, even now, I think I'm working like marketing or something. Like they just, you know, it's just don't not quite super- get it. Yeah, especially like the northeast. I don't think you have a huge amount of grad schemes. Obviously, it's big companies that normally offer them. A lot of the time, the head offices are down south, so they just had no idea really what it was I was doing. Is it a good thing? Are we happy? I think so. Um, so yeah, I kind of knew I wasn't maybe gonna get that kind of discussion at home but I, w- I had a good career service at Newcastle and yeah. actually there so I was also working at a charity just before I kind of went into my final year and so there was one of my managers there she's kind of one of them people who's like been like a lot of big companies knows how a lot of it works her daughter had done the grad scheme thing she ended up doing the LD grad scheme had advice on how that the ass- assessment centres worked you know how she could talk to her about how she actually felt at that company she then got to Amazon so I kind of got to know about assessment centres and what to expect from and um, the kind of charity I was working at rather than at home because I think you can access it from from different points it's not always just university you know there might be or even if it's not family there's always I feel like there's also someone you can probably reach out to and can give you some good like advice or an insight mm-hmm. podcasts like this <laughs> to give myself an age I don't podcasts were as popular as they are now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah, because that's what we're aiming to do, the 93% Club. We, Whether that's like resources online or workshops or just this podcast itself, we want to try and give people who've got different backgrounds, regardless of which socioeconomical background they've come from, the information that they may not get from the university or their parents or any other um, information that other people from different backgrounds would possibly know of whether it's because their parents went through it or just something like that so I think what you mentioned about how you know maybe the parents don't know and it's really important to get that information from somewhere I think that is something to really drill into our listeners that yeah like regardless of the background where you come from if you can be proactive and try and find that information yourself then that can go a long way and just to touch on that, um, in terms of applying for your grad role or whether that was in university, was there any approach or anything that you did when you look back on that you did differently? Um, with what I just said, probably <laughs> with the amount of jobs I applied for, I probably went a bit overkill. <laughs> um, actually, I definitely did go a bit overkill. I applied for so many Um and I should have probably spent a little bit more time on perfecting some of the applications that I really wanted to do. Um, still, you know, applying for a large amount, but not a, a ridiculous amount. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say focus on which jobs you want to go for um, more than cast your net wide, like I did. Um, I did receive a lot of rejections. I guess it's about striking a balance. I think I got, honestly, I probably applied to about 80, wow. 80 roles um, and got 77 odd rejections. I've got three offers. So I guess that's the important thing. But yeah, I don't think there's no need to apply for as many as that. Yeah, I'd agree. I did the similar thing of like, you know, if I apply for say 80, then there's a good chance you're going to get one. But I think, you, like you said, you do... But you, you think you thin yourself out a little bit because it's like I've now got ten video interviews to do. I've now got to research all these companies. Whereas I think even when you read like a job description, you apply in and you learn about the company, you really do notice the companies that you want to get. You kind of have like excited like, oh, I really hope I hear back from them. And I think they're the ones that you should be focusing on in your application. If you get the ones you're really interested in, you put the hours into put kind of perfecting the application. I think it will help you in the long run rather than kind of do everything half-handedly and trying to just apply for everything and hope for the best I think really focus in where it is you'd either the industry or the job or the company um I think is probably a good a good approach to take and what about you Cameron I thought you might ask a question like what might you do differently um <laughs> I've been doing some thinking and I guess it it will probably sound quite cliche but looking back over uni, applying for grad schemes, placements, college even. I'm not sure I'd change anything. There were definitely, like you guys have described as well, there's been definite high points and very low points. Um, but all of it has added up to the experience that I've had. And I feel like I wouldn't have perhaps interviewed so well for here or, or got the jobs that I've gotten rolled off uh, the programme or what have you without having had that experience. Um, so for the question, would I have changed anything? I don't think I would have. Um, 
I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for, but um, I don't think I would have changed anything. And also what drives that answer is because there's still time to change things, you know? I've worked here for, I guess, two and a half, three years now. I've lost count. But um, if I wanted to go and do a different job somewhere else or go back to uni and do a master's in something different or apply for another grad scheme even, um, I'm sure I could. And so... Um, like you guys describe, you cast your net really wide at the start or you even if you're really selective of where you applied to, it doesn't mean that you're stuck there forever. So I definitely wouldn't have changed it. And mm-hmm. I'm also safe in the knowledge of that because there's always time to, to go and do something different if I wanted to. Of course, yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer of everything happens for a reason. Like if something hasn't gone your way, then you will learn from it. And you can, as you said, take that learning curve and that experience onto other things. And yeah, and I've experienced that myself. I know beforehand, I was really upset that I didn't have um, an offer from an apprenticeship. And now looking back on that now, I've done a completely different degree to what that was I'm very happy with what I'm doing now so I do think that's a good point for our listeners just if something doesn't go your way don't panic just try again whether that's for like a similar role or just in uni regardless just try and push through it learn from your experience and I also think the point that you made about you know applying to so many different places and just trying to focus on tailoring like your CV or your answers or whatnot to the ones that you do prefer I do think that goes a long way as well surely you you don't want to only apply to five grad roles but probably not 80 (laughs) I feel like that was that was probably very stressful for you correct (laughs) So yeah, that's great, um, amazing advice yet again. Um, I'm just curious, once you did have that offer and you started your full-time role, how was that? How was that transition and then moving away? For me, I loved it. I absolutely loved it uh, for a variety of reasons. One, I was getting money. (laughs) Fantastic. At uni, you don't have a lot of it. So, you know, that's always good. But the big one for me was... At university, I always felt that my mind was on something, um, whether that's applying for jobs or part-time work or, um, you know, a deadline that you've got to meet. Even when I felt, I don't know, I'd be down the pub with friends or I'd be sat watching the TV, I feel guilty that I wasn't, oh, no, you know, I've really got I've really got to do this for uh, for Friday, or, you know. But with with full-time work, it's not, it's not quite like that. I mean, you work nine till well i say nine till five and then after five o'clock goes you, you, there's just no no sort of your mind's not running and there's no guilt and it's just you know you can put your feet up and and really enjoy it but no I, i'm i'm really really happy i chose ocado um it for a place to work in in engineering the opportunities here the the culture there's just so much opportunity to to try different things and yeah I've, I've really really enjoyed the transition to full-time work more than I thought I would have actually um yeah great how about you Annabelle I would say it went like a lot smoother than I expected I thought it would be this like it would be huge or it would be like scary or overwhelming but I think it has a lot to do with the like the HR emerging talent team that they have at Ocado that literally the first week was just getting to know the company, getting to know each other. It was you weren't even putting your role. It was 
So we had like um, some social activities where we got to meet everyone on the grad scheme, even little things like setting up your laptop, setting up your work phone. This is how you use like work day. This is how you set up meetings. So it wasn't, I wasn't going in day one and like, this is your job. This is what you've got to do. It was kind of welcome to the company. These are your benefits. This is how you use the, the maybe the network. This is what's on offer. Um, had some guest speakers in. So it was a very like calm introduction. Also quite exciting because you're meeting all these people and, you know, excited to use all these different things. Um, and then I went into my actual role where again, I had another induction. We did like site visits to actually see the CFCs we were building um and some of the software and stuff would be using so it wasn't straight away again here's your work get it get on with it kind of thing um so like meeting the team in a nice way um so i think it i just expected it to maybe be really overwhelming and i was from day one i'd be throwing it deep in but it was the complete opposite felt really at home so when i finally actually came to like doing your job um i was kind of ready for it because i was like okay i spent two weeks kind of preparing for it you know kind of what 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 do I get stuck in with now? Um, and again, at like a grip manager, who even on that first day, because it, it's something you don't think about, but like obviously we're in like quite a big head office, there's loads of floors and rooms, and he even like met me at the door to like take me, literally to show me the desk that I'd be working and stuff. So like straight away, I didn't have to think about like, oh god, am I going to be walking around aimlessly trying to find someone? Just like little things like that that kind of made me feel at home, and it was just everyone was saying hello as you're kind of walking in and introducing me. So yeah, I'd say from literally the first day I joined, it just kind of, it just, I just kind of felt like fitted in really easily, um, and just kind of, like I said it was a lot smoother than I think I expected. And moving down here, so obviously I was, I stayed up north for uni. I was at Newcastle. I, um, again, I didn't. I, maybe I was used to, I guess, not living at home anymore. So it just, it didn't really phase me that much i was kind of excited to be near london like so i live in st albans which is like 20 minutes on the train to london um so i was like ah oh, that's just like really exciting to kind of move to this new place i felt like i was just ready for it i think i, I wouldn't underestimate the um the graduate community here at ocado as well with i think in your year there's 100 i think there's about yeah. 70 graduates in my year um yeah it's, it's a massive graduate community and everyone's like-minded or to be fair i guess you wouldn't really have you know the similar roles on the graduate scheme so yeah it's fantastic and having that sort of support network and, and friends in and outside of work makes a, a, a huge difference oh that's lovely to hear how about you cameron um, a really similar story to you guys when you describe on the about your the setup that you get from the emerging talent team and the tech stuff and even basics like how to walk and how does your calendar work yeah um was really impactful for me um, and also it's so nice to hear that your manager kind of took you upstairs and took you under the wing and that's definitely I hope the welcome everyone gets and I certainly felt very similar um, you've spoken to Abby already but Abby was my first manager so if you're fortunate enough to come and join the Emerging Talent team then hopefully you'll get as good a welcome as I did I certainly did um, you're right Accardo uh, feels from a values and culture point of view like a really welcoming place so I think you'd get that from from almost everyone and um, it just did feel really welcoming the other thing that I'd say like I kind of mentioned before on assessment centres and almost doing a two-way interview seeing if it's the kind of place you'd like to work testing that culture or testing them values will pro- will hopefully guide you in what will my welcome experience feel like because hopefully if they if they sell it to you at the assessment centre, then that's hopefully what it should turn like 
turn out like in the flesh. It certainly did for me. Of course. Yeah, that's amazing to hear. I'm, I'm very glad for you all. Um, but just quickly, before we finish this episode, is there anything you'd like to share or add that we haven't discussed already? Um, yes. So I think what Cameron said, but almost like where you, it's not just an interview for um, for you, it's an interview for them. You need to know what sort of place you're, you, you know, you're potentially signing up to work for. And it's not, it, it, I mean, the piece of advice that I'd say I, I'd give is loosely related to that, but it's more about just being inquisitive about everything to do with the application process, the employer, at the assessment centres, on interviews, ask questions. It shows that you're interested. It shows you're enthusiastic. Um, and yeah, just don't be scared to ask questions, be inquisitive, speak to people, try and network. Uh, the worst they're going to do if you try and network with someone is they'll say no, <laughs> which isn't isn't really that bad when you you probably get some rejections from your job offers anyway. So it's yeah, that would that would probably be my best bit of advice. Great, it's great advice. Any other advice or anything you'd like to add? Um, I would say if you especially if you're thinking about your application forms, I think try and find something that you that you're confident about. So like maybe your unique selling point that you think is different. Because obviously they're going to get potentially thousands of applications for maybe like 20 roles. Is There's likely something that you've done or you've achieved that nobody else has. So it might not even be a big thing, but like mine was when I was like younger at school and stuff, I used to sell stuff online. So like a little business going. Um, and so that's just something you could kind of bring in. It's like, why are you different? Or why have you got maybe good experience that you can bring in? I think just put that, forward can give you a good amount of confidence and kind of maybe separate yourself so I did have I think one of my questions was literally like there's you know maybe 100 people and their grads and the assessment center today probably going to give 10 rolls out why are you better or why should we pick you over everyone else and so I think if you can go in and kind of already back yourself and think you know what what I've got in my back pocket is you know I think my trump card I think I have that kind of ready to separate yourselves from everyone else is a good a good thing going with yeah that's a great that's a great point I mean for any business or company or any brand you want your USP so why should personal branding be any different so I think that is a, another amazing point added um, thank you for that um, any other advice you want to give <laughs> I've got one and it and it's an extent links with yours Annabelle about what's your your USP almost and um, it will probably sound really quite cheesy, and um, but uh, a phrase or a or a or a, a, a saying that was really impactful to me while I was going through my uh, phase at sixth form of dropping out and thinking, "What is it I really want to do?" Um, was when you let go of who you are, you become who you might be. When you let go of who you are, you become who you might be, and for me, that meant when I let go of I'm Cameron, the college dropout, or I'm Cameron from Bolton, or I'm Cameron who didn't finish his A-levels, um, become who you might be. And at the time, that was I was on a bit of a programme to be a store manager in a shop. When you let go of who you are, I'm a, I'm a working-class boy from the north who, who wouldn't only get into uni or might not get onto a grad scheme. When you let go of that, you, you open up doors for yourself. And that doesn't mean letting go of your entire identity, absolutely not. And that's where it links with you, Annabelle, because... Forget the bits that are holding you back. 
and remember the bits that push you forward. What are your unique selling points? What is your skill? Like we said right at the start, Lewis, what is the bit that you really love? And for you, it was problem solving. For me, it was creativity. I might not have all the connections in the world or all the uh, avenues to explore, but I've got my creativity and that's what sets me apart. Mm -hmm. And that's what hopefully uh, keeps driving me forward. Yeah, that's a very inspirational quote. I love that. Thanks, I try my best. <laughs> yeah, always just try and stay positive and just try to believe in yourself. And I suppose like the personal branding that you've set up for yourself and just just learn from everything and just be proactive. And as you said, just try and focus on who you want to be. I think the advice that you've given today in this podcast has been excellent. I'm sure the listeners will appreciate it. Because I know if I heard this, well, I, I'm still applying for grad roles. All of like the information that you're telling me now is so useful. And I'll be able to listen back to this and remember it. So thank you so much, especially for showing your experiences and just for being a part of this episode. And thank you to Ocado Group for making this discussion possible, because I'm sure it's going to be very useful for the listeners. And if you are listening, I hope you enjoyed this and this discussion. And if you'd like to learn more about the Ocado Group, to check out their website and the careers page for more information. And I hope you three have enjoyed your time on the 93 Talks podcast. So thank you so much. Um, and yeah, and good luck to any students who are applying for any graduate roles. I hope you'll take this advice and the information that you've learned from Ocado for your own application process, perhaps. But again, thank you so much, Cameron Lewis and Annabelle for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.